from UA Little Rock Public Radio, this is The Art Scene. I'm Daniel Brain. This week, we'll take a trip spanning from 19th century Vienna all the way to the snowy peaks of the Andes Mountains. That's thanks to the newest concert by our very own Arkansas Symphony Orchestra, heading back to the Robinson Center on Thursday, May 20th and Friday, May 21st. They were the final concerts in what's been a rather unique season, and they're not ones to disappoint, featuring Beethoven's Symphony No. 7 and a work by contemporary composer Gabriella Elena Franck, Leandis, and Andean Walkabout. We speak with the symphony's interim artistic director, Jeffrey Robson, about the shows, set for May 20th and 21st at 7.30 p.m. I feel like I've, I've asked you this before in, in previous interviews, but how how has it been going with pivoting to some virtual hybrid stuff, but also uh, most recently uh, actually returning to the Robinson Center? How, how has that process been going so far? Any uh, as 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 expected, I guess. The stage we're at now, truthfully, is we're in the big pivot back to the hall. We've been in the hall since January, performing for a range of number of people of zero to up to about 400 now just a couple of weeks ago. And that's what we're um, expecting to have in the hall for our season closer, which is coming up. It's an unusual Thursday and Friday night Masterworks performance um, at the Robinson welcoming live audience. We're selling single tickets. Um, and so you know, anyone who wants one last chance to see the, um, see the symphony and what has at the close of what has been a, a long strange road of a season um, but in some ways a very profitable and fruitful artistically um, speaking season um, you'll have a chance to do that so I think things have gone well as well as they could have of course like we've talked about over the course of the last year we did make the big pivot to everything digital and we've uh, really honed our skills in producing digital content just on an individual basis as the individual musicians of the orchestra like we did at the beginning when literally no one could get together then we started putting together um like our full-time string quartets for performances in the fall and creating, recreating all of our education programs, our teaching and uh, youth orchestras, recreating them in, in a virtual format for the fall. And then um, by December, the what you could actually call an orchestra uh, with, with 30 or 40 people on stage, um, taking great, great precautions um, in those early days in December and January when things were so difficult. It was, um, it was a bit hairy, but we were, we were, um, we were, like I said, very careful and had deeply vetted guidelines that um, have, that have kept everyone safe on stage as we bring music to people of central Arkansas. Um, and then starting in March, the third concert of our condensed six concert masterworks series, we welcomed a few dozen people into the hall and we're up to, and, and now we're confident in our um, inviting a socially distanced capacity of just a little bit over 400 people to sit in the um, over 2200 max capacity seat Robinson Center. So that's what 
you can expect if you show up in a couple of weeks to hear the orchestra. And I think we talk a lot, or at least you and I have talked a lot about like what the audience can expect or what the what's different for the audience in this in this new time that we're living in. But uh, I'm interested from the musician's perspective and and from your perspective as the conductor is is what is different to you guys? Is it um, you know practicing looks different? Maybe you're on Zoom or is it? maybe a different feeling to just be playing to a few dozen people rather than a a full concert hall? Well, at the beginning, I mean, they were just recording sessions, you know, and that has its own sort of vibe as opposed to playing for a packed house. Um, I, I like that atmosphere. I love recording. I like session work. I always have. Um, But I can't even overstate how powerful of an experience it was for all of us when even we had all of a sudden a hundred people um, listening to us live, just the, the, it changes the whole atmosphere, you know, and then there's um, differences in setup that we had to implement on stage. People are spaced um, according to CDC guidelines and wearing masks. And so the way you communicate is altered a little bit because you can't see each other's facial expressions, you know, making music is a visual process as well as a physical mental and auditory process so um there have been some adjustments there but uh the musicians in the orchestra are so good that um we've i think developed the skills that we need in order to overcome those those handicaps but i can assure you that everyone is looking forward very much to um bringing that setup back to back to a level of closeness that we can really use to hear each other adequately. And so we were talking about this a little bit, but um, the the scheduling aspect of it, the, the programming um, of the season during the pandemic, you know, that, that threw everything topsy-turvy for a while and, of course, you know, put a, a complete pause on, on concerts. Yeah, I guess if you could just take us back to uh, how this season has been so far, uh, what, what works did you all have planned that you had to postpone for next season uh which ones did you include uh in this this current season that that is ending with this new concert um and what was sort of what was that uh process like of uh deciding what goes where sure that process has changed a lot from how it's historically been um and we've become a lot more flexible and adaptable to last minute changes um but what i can say is that the masterwork season as it ended up this spring from January through May, we didn't play a single piece that we were originally going to play during the 2021 season. (laughs) Um, However, most of the pieces that we were originally going to play on the 2021 season, our audiences will hear now next season. We've had great luck in rescheduling all of the visiting artists, visiting conductors, you know, some highlights, including just uh, absolute top top tier multiple Grammy winning uh, violinist Gil Shaham will be coming next season instead of having been supposed to come this season. And also on the pops side, you know, we 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 speak mostly about masterworks, but um, we perform all the other kinds of music besides kind of main concert hall classical music as well. We, we do Broadway shows, uh, we play movie scores, we um, had 
this great concert planned a tribute to the music of Aretha Franklin with wonderful guests coming that we've rescheduled several times now and that will finally happen next year. And so we call that our pop series. And of course that will also open with our popular holiday um, concerts that will feature American Idol winner, Chris Allen, who's of course from the central Arkansas area and a friend and someone I'm looking forward to performing with, with the orchestra as well. So, um, all of that is to say, we started with a blank slate for this year, and it was an incredible opportunity to explore repertoire for smaller orchestras that we would not normally be able to present on the masterwork stage, even if it is that caliber by the same great composers. It's just not material we get to perform all that often because of the size of orchestra required. Um, so it was a great opportunity. It was an some ways for me, an opportunity to discover new composers as well, fabulous living composers who are really breaking through to the forefront at this time. Um, and also ones who are well-established and incredibly highly regarded, brilliant composers um, that we haven't performed before. And it, the there's a perfect example of that on our upcoming season closing concert when we'll play a work by Gabriella Elena Frank, who I'm looking forward to telling you about. Yes, absolutely. I, I want to get right to it because, as you said, this is a, a blank slate that you had to craft from nothing, basically. And this is the culminating concert of that blank slate. This is, you know, your task with sort of tying everything about the season together and also ending on, you know, something that is impressive and will leave an, an impression on uh, the audience's mind and uh, hopefully until they come back to the uh, the Robinson Center. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm saying all these things like I know, but <laughs> is that what kind of what you're, you're uh, trying to go for? What, what were you thinking of when you're uh, programming this last concert? I think that's pretty much spot on. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go out with the biggest bang as you can um, and really get people excited about coming to the hall en masse um, next season? So um, for a while, I was toying with the idea of closing the season with, um, with the Beethoven Symphony. Specifically, Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, not just because it's one of my favorites, but because this is a piece that has, since the day it was premiered, been in the core repertory of every orchestra. It's got a brilliant start, a brilliant middle, a brilliant finish. It's, um, it's, it's got a kind of dance-like energy throughout, and it's got a great ending, and it just feels positive. Um, it also would be the first time we've played a Beethoven symphony since since the pandemic, and I think will give people a, a, a taste really of what um, it will be like in the fall to have uh, have absolutely everybody back on stage, and um, and so I had that in mind. Just to show you again how crazy this has been, I I take one step back in saying that this concert was originally supposed to happen in late January, um, but we moved it because things were so bad in January, we wanted to only do one concert at the very end. So actually the season originally was going to close um, 
um, in with the concerts we played last weekend in the, the beginning of May. So this was a new season closer. So I was looking for something to take it even further over the top than what we did a couple of weeks ago, which was a very uplifting and, and, and hopeful program. So I settled on the Beethoven. Meanwhile, I had been listening to the music of American composer Gabriela Lena Frank for a while. And she is an incredibly accomplished living composer, recent winner of a Heinz Award for outstanding contribution um, to, to, uh, to culture and society, the humanities and environment. And she has been resident composer with major orchestras. And she has an incredibly interesting background as, um, as an American of um, Peruvian, Chinese, Lithuanian, Jewish descent, who incorporates a massive array of influences into her music and it's and it's beautiful and and um, probably more than anything influenced by um, her extensive travels in South America and her connecting to her her Peruvian heritage. Um, recently named one of the top uh, 35 female composers of all time um, in in I think by the Washington Post and and so um, her music hasn't been performed here before. And so I was looking into that. And then in December, she published an article in the Times talking about the music of Beethoven and how she sees as herself a composer with profound hearing loss, how the progression of Beethoven having lost his hearing over the course of career, his career informed and changed his music. And of course, Beethoven, the revolutionary who changed music forever with what he went through artistically in his career that's been emulated ever since, how those changes in her mind are clearly a product of his increasing deafness. And so I was absolutely riveted by her, um, by her writing. And also similarly, you know, really identified with what she was describing as the moments um, in Beethoven's music that she believes reflects that profound hearing loss, such as a gradually increasing spatial range, like lower lows and higher highs to the music. Um, and, you know, she described her own creative process, which, is to basically when she's really trying to seriously compose, she removes her hearing assistance devices and kind of um, allows the music to happen in, in, it starts to kind of happen in her head and she, you know, and, and she fully understands that when you can't, hear so to speak you you feel sound you see sound and so um that contributes to this um this increasing kind of use of space in in music i was riveted like i said and i started to um think about programming their music together and uh, it just so happens that i think the style and and kind of effect of the two pieces that are 
going to be on this program together, her Leandas, an Andean walkabout, and Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, both deeply infused with um, dance elements, I, I felt like it was a perfect pairing. And so that's how I landed on this program, and I'm, I'm, I'm deeply excited about it. This is The Art Scene from UA Little Rock Public Radio. I'm Daniel Brain. We're talking with Jeffrey Robson, Associate Conductor and Interim Artistic Director of the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. He's giving us a preview of the symphony's season-ending concert featuring works by Beethoven and contemporary composer Gabriella Lena Franck. I'm wondering what you think about that because like as you said Beethoven is such a revolutionary and he you know ushered in an entire movement of uh of, of music that that continued on after long after he was gone romanticism I'm wondering what what you see now as to you know this person who is we're lucky enough to have still among us in living and composing like do you see not just her but people like that and maybe the fact that we're having these conversations about uh, thinking of music on more of a 3D level, like what do you see that as maybe like ushering in a new, a new type of composing? I think it's very hard to tell. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, I think it can be difficult to discern contemporaneously when an artistic revolution is underway, right? That's often something you realize once it's in the history books, because um, right now it's just happening now. So a hundred years from now, 50, 200 years from now, um, I there's no doubt in my mind that there are composers that whose music we're playing today quite you know perfectly likely to include uh, composers like Vince Frank who are who are just at the top of you know top of their game in terms of writing stunning music um it will be interesting to see you know of course what what how how things how things unfold but i think the i think the defining element for composers of this generation is their profound access to music and information and styles and cultures from every corner of the globe at a touch of a button that was just not something obviously that existed 200 years ago. So I think the way my thought on the matter is, is over the 20th century, we saw music become ever increasingly fragmented into genres, styles, subgenres, substyles. And I'm talking across the board, classical music, uh, popular music, jazz, dance, electronica, all of these, I mean, it's just, splintered into into such specific styles and I feel like what's happened so far over the 21st century is as composers know more and more about this music these styles are kind of starting to fuse back together again and you see it on the concert stage you see composers music influenced um not just by western classical and not just by um music of of 
different cultural backgrounds and, and different places around the world, but also electronic music and, and you know, all of this works its way into the concert stage now. And you see it in, in popular music too. You know, you, there's, you can't deny now the influence of electronic dance music and hip hop and, you know, it, it, there's, it happens all over the uh, spectrum so to speak. I don't know what the end game is for 21st century music, but I see something very different in 21st century music from 20th century music. You were mentioning uh, Frank sort of creating the scene. You know, obviously her piece is called Andy and Walkabout. You know, she's trying to use this, uh, these like vibrations and things like that to sort of transport you to the uh, mountaintop in South America. Uh, I was just curious, where where are you transported when you listen to uh, Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Seven? What what kind of a place is that for you? Great question. I was expecting it was about uh, <laughs> Peru, but uh, yes, the Beethoven. Um, you know, the it's kind of different for each movement. Um, this is music of Beethoven. It's infused with a uh, the spirit of. Viennese early 19th century music, uh, which of course, as every music of a, of a cultural center is, is infused with the folk traditions from around it. Um, but in the very opening, in the first movement of the Beethoven, it has this extensive introduction that is almost like the orchestra finding its sonority. It's like, it explores these like deep, rich key areas. And then it, and then the, the, when it breaks into the actual rest of the movement, it's kind of, it's very uplifting and, and, and joyful. The second movement um, is one of the most famous movements of, of, of his entire literature. And it's, um, it's a movement of kind of steadfast grief and sheer beauty. The third movement is one of Beethoven's fastest. Um, really the third and fourth movement in contrasting ways uh, kind of take you to the Central European countryside, I think in a rustic yet, can something be, can it be rustic yet refined at the same time? I'm not sure, it's, 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 it's I guess that would be a great way to describe Beethoven's music. <laughs> yeah, it's Beethoven, he can do that, that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't mean to like step on the question, uh, the, you know, you can, uh, talk about these, these Andean peaks as well, if, if you'd like, oh, <laughs> where yeah. does that take no, you? No, I w- love talking about both. I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, so Beethoven's music, I mean, it takes you to, it takes you into his mind and spirit and it takes you to Vienna and it takes you to, um, to the evolution of the symphony and, and just the core of the genre itself. Um, and it makes you really happy at the end. <laughs> um, the the Leandas is is kind of it's also in multiple movements, and it's it uses all traditional string instruments. Traditional is of course not really an appropriate term because traditional to whom? Um, traditional for a Western symphony orchestra instruments, meaning the violin, viola, cello, and bass. Um, but each movement evokes different traditional Peruvian instruments, uh, such are such as toyos and tarcas and and zampoñas and uh, and 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 um, charangas, the good small guitar that has incredible sound. Um, 
And so it's kind of a tour of the different sound worlds that those instruments make. And then Landas itself, the title of the piece means legends. And in a couple of the movements, like one, for example, um, Chasky, it depicts a, a, an Incan, um, a legendary figure of the Incan period who was a sprinter, a runner who would run great distances over mountaintops to take messages from one village to another, for example. And so the music as a whole, it plays almost like a film score. Um, it's got in great beauty. She's a wonderful writer of melodies and, 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 um, and music with great rhythm and drive. But if there's any music where I would invite the listener to kind of close their eyes and sit back and see where the music takes them and what story it tells them, this would be it. It's a, it's a remarkable piece of music. I get kind of lost, uh, and that's through no fault of your own or the symphonies, but uh, it seems like everything that has been postponed, like I, I don't even remember. So uh, just to give us a refresher about uh, what we can expect for next season, because uh, people, I'm sure maybe if they've listened to the show before, they they know a little bit about what to expect, but um, just to just to give us a, a refresher course in, in what to expect. So the season's going to open with an eclectic program highlighted by Stravinsky's great Firebird suite from his famous ballet, um, Firebird music that's been featured and made famous by um, not just performances everywhere, but um, Fantasia <laughs> and, and, and really brilliant, brilliant dramatic music. It's going to be a neat program. Um, Beethoven in Blue Jeans will make its return in November with music of Beethoven, Rachmaninoff, and Brahms um, featuring an amazing young pianist, Conrad Tao, and conducted by Roger Cox, who's a, um, who's a great up-and-coming conductor who's working with orchestras all over the globe and excited to uh, see him and um, have him conduct our orchestra. Um, you'll Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto, one of the all-time great violin concertos, will be presented in January. Um, like I said, Gil Shaham is coming. He's not the one playing Tchaikovsky, but he's playing Violin Concerto by Samuel Barber, which is a perennial favorite 20th century American composer. And also on that program will be a piece by Little Rock's own Florence Price, who was an exact contemporary of Samuel Barber, interestingly, and um, I'm really excited to conduct that program. Later in the spring, we will be premiering a new piece by a Cuban-American composer, Tanya Leon, as um, we're part of a consortium of orchestras around the country who are who are who have commissioned Ms. Leon to, to write this piece for us. We will have the first performance of it, and I'm really excited about that. Um, and the season concludes with the performance of Dvorak's New World Symphony. So um, it's anyone who followed our season announcement a year ago or a little more than a year ago, uh, will see that all of the highlights from what was supposed to happen this season before the pandemic, we've managed to um, bottle up and transport to the upcoming season. So nothing will be missed. The same is true with our pop series um, like I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, we'll have Chris Allen, 
will pay tribute to Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. Uh, we've got a great Gershwin program that will feature his great Rhapsody in Blue, um, as well as some of his favorite vocal numbers. And Cirque de la Symphony, which is kind of what it, what it, what it sounds like, an incredible adaptation that live symphonic music with um, aerial trapeze acts like, you know, with live orchestra, incredibly coordinated choreography, great, great show. So lots of fun. That was Jeffrey Robson, Interim Artistic Director for the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. He previewed the symphony's final concert of the season, featuring Beethoven's Symphony No. 7 and Leyendas, an Andean walkabout by Gabriella Lena Franck. The show is set for Thursday, May 20th and Friday, May 21st at 7.30 p.m. And you can watch virtually beginning Friday, May 29th. That's our show for this week. Please tune in next week at the same time. I'm Daniel Breen, and the art scene is a presentation of UA Little Rock Public Radio. Music